You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. Hi, Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. We're back and coming up full market coverage ahead as Kathy Wood sells into the NVIDIA frenzy by cutting her TSMC stake, reweighting or something more. Details to come. Plus, the Supreme Court will hear challenges today on two laws that aim to prevent social media platforms from censoring posts. We'll have the latest. And Jeff Bezos and NVIDIA join OpenAI to back a company developing human-like robots. We'll discuss that and so much more throughout the hour. But first, checking on these markets. A little croaky, as is my voice. We're currently up about a tenth of a percent. Look, we're clawing into a big macro week. We really revert our attention to Fed speak, to economic perspective when we get the core PCE details. Really, how is inflation going at the moment? Yesterday, all about NVIDIA and earnings. This week, it is all about, of course, the eyes on macro. We're looking at the Stocks European 600, actually just down off of its record high. So a little bit of cautious trading in Europe as well. Ten-year yields up three basis points as we look for that inflationary read. Ed. Let's look at what's happening in the world of crypto, though, because Bitcoin as dollar basically flat on the day, crypto is spiking up about two percentage points. What have you got on the micro? I'm starting the week with some M&A Monday. KKR is buying a software unit from Broadcom for about four billion US dollars. This is a, a unit that basically provides the software for remote desktop connection. It's something that Broadcom got out of the VMware deal last year. You can see uh, AVGO, the ticker for Broadcom, it shares up. Almost a percentage point now, KKR not doing much, but an interesting way of starting the week. It's something that Bloomberg had previously reported. The other kind of mover story that we're looking at, as we always are at the moment, is NVIDIA, but also the US ADRs or US listed shares of TSMC, both moving to the upside. NVIDIA up 1.2%, TSMC higher in US trading, four tenths of a percent. As you said, what we saw is ARC, uh, the Innovation Robotics ETF, sell down its position, about 9,000 ADRs on TSMC. Um, now, you can kind of look at it as a re-weighting, but the main point is it's the first time they've offloaded TSMC shares since 2021. The story seems to be reduced exposure also to NVIDIA because TSMC, the lead contract manufacturer of semis globally, so much of the run-up in the space has basically been the carry-through from the AI hype around NVIDIA and the H100. We can get 
deeper into that. It's something that I'm sure many money managers around the world, Cara, are having to deal with right now, given the recent performance. Let's talk to one of them. Sarah Dosmani with us, head of long-term unconstrained strategies at Martin Curry. NVIDIA, largest holding among Sarah's global long-term unconstrained portfolios. So it's so good to have a focus like yours after the week we've just had. Are you still committed to a name like NVIDIA? When you, I know you talk about valuation discipline. What does one look at an evaluation perspective, the forward PEs or actually just the sheer scale of a two trillion number? Yeah, it's a good question, Caroline. Thank you very much for having me on your program. Uh, for us, it's still uh, a case of looking at uh, how the gross opportunity uh, translates and uh, how the gross profile for NVIDIA comes through. So when you look at the AI basket that we follow over 50 stocks, there's been a rapid uh, appreciation. So we've got over the last uh, 12 months, 60%. Uh, move in share prices on average uh, for earnings that have only moved by 7%. Uh, and you compare that to NVIDIA over the last 12 months is up almost 280%, but its earnings have been upgraded by 380% plus. So you've had multiple contraction. So that's one aspect to highlight. We want to focus on companies that can monetize from AI and where there's more likely to be earnings momentum that really follows through. So, as we've been reporting with the likes of a Cathy Wood and a, a managed ETF there, do you reweight on a more regular basis? Do you have to think about broadening your perspective away from an NVIDIA or a TSMC to some of the other names that perhaps haven't been run up as quite so far, so fast? Yeah, we're still focused on companies that can monetize, which for us are the companies that provide the picks and shovels to the AI opportunities, so the enablers of AI, or in other words, companies that will benefit from the significant investment spend that is going on both by the hyperscalers, but also corporates will be spending more on AI, and so which are the companies that can monetize from that? And for us, it's companies like NVIDIA that's really well positioned, and we believe NVIDIA is probably in the same position as ASML was 10, 15 years ago, as a quasi-monopoly uh, and enabler of the uh, AI opportunity. And then you have companies like Microsoft, which is really positioned across three fronts. Firstly, their stake in open AI. Secondly, their uh, cloud provision. And thirdly, the fact that uh, they have that connection with enterprise and we believe corporates are the most likely um, entities in the economy that will need to harness AI to ensure that they stay productive, competitive, uh, because ultimately you don't get competed away by AI when you're a corporate. You get competed away by another corporate using AI better and faster than you do. Ozeri, this is what Kathy Wood had to say on, on X, the social media platform. You know, she's been in the name a long time. She feels that she was early to the, the kind of bull thesis around AI. But our own Eric Bautunas, he's our Bloomberg Intelligence specialist on ETFs, he kind of makes the point that don't, don't get bogged down in the selling on any given position. Think about it from a weightings perspective, which Caroline mentioned. So this is the table right. And if you look at the, the weighting of TSMC, uh, the ADRs, at least, and also NVIDIA within uh, ARKQ, it's, it's remained relatively constant. What you seem to have in common with her is that the bull thesis is intact, that there is going to be a big infrastructure build out. And this is something you and I have been talking about for quite a long time now. Where do you look for that infrastructure benefit if you're an investor? Yeah, and that's right. Ed, uh, I think we were here uh, in September last year. And at the time, we discussed uh, the NVIDIA 
valuation and we felt that there was still a lot of support and since then the stock is up I think uh, over 80%. So it's had a very strong run. For us it's still about uh, focusing on those companies as I mentioned that can monetize and uh, NVIDIA is really well positioned for that. Uh, the debate will be what is the runway of growth and for us over the last 12 months we've really just seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of spend being channeled in AI. If you look at some of the big tech companies uh, there's uh, plans to increase capex this year by 22% to about 180 billion dollars when you add up the various big tech companies that we follow. Zerid, you, you mentioned Microsoft, you mentioned being able to monetize. Do you have the same attitude towards Google or Alphabet, the parent of Google? We're actually one of the investors that is uh, very uh, underweight, the Magnificent Seven, in terms of uh, names. So of the seven, we only hold two companies in our global strategies, and these are NVIDIA and Microsoft. So we do that through a fundamental assessment, which for us is an assessment of growth, returns profile, and valuation, as well as taking into account the various fundamental risks that we assess. You have such a global perspective, which we love. And in your notes, you really talk about some of the risks, and one of those is geopolitical. How are you factoring, for example, a commitment coming from NVIDIA and Jason, Jensen saying, I will remain in China and want to still be owning that market when geopolitics are as they are? It's a really good question. The geopolitics is probably the most important risk that investors should focus on. Unfortunately, it's also the most difficult to quantify. So for us, uh, as you and I discussed, Caroline, we took the view that we wanted to reduce the geopolitical risk and move to the beneficiaries of technological and geopolitical fragmentation, which is when we switched out of TSMC into ASML. Mm. We believe ASML will be a beneficiary of the fragmentation in production sites that's currently going on, with plants being built in the US, in Japan, and in Europe. Um, so for us, when we then look at NVIDIA, we believe that indeed it will have some challenges in operating in China, but it will be adapting its products to make sure to be on the right side of the regulation. Zerid, uh, about 10 days before NVIDIA reported earnings, I spoke with Jensen Huang about the idea of sovereign AI. And he sees a world in which NVIDIA starts doing more business directly with nation states, right, countries. It's one of your top holdings. And I wondered if the analysts on your desk assign in their models any future growth that comes from a purely government contract for H100s away from the private sector. We believe there's upside to our forecast from that angle, but we certainly agree with Jensen that there will be a growing demand coming from sovereign AI as well. Uh, there is an element of geopolitical angle to it, and uh, Jensen has explained that very well on his earnings call, and we believe that that, again, creates some element of uh, tailwind to the earnings momentum, but also it highlights the importance of uh, making sure that when we uh, forecast companies, we always uh, use different type of scenarios and that those scenarios do capture some of those eventuality. Sirin, it's always great to have you here. Thank you for popping in with us. Sirin Osmani of Martin Curry. And some more news. Yeah, another story in the AI space. French AI company uh, Mistral announced a strategic partnership with Microsoft today that includes making the startup's latest artificial intelligence models available to customers of Microsoft's Azure cloud. The move comes as Microsoft faces mounting political scrutiny globally for its deep ties to OpenAI, which competes with Mistral.
Today, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments over whether two state laws preventing social media companies from moderating content violate the First Amendment. Here for more is Bloomberg's Emily Birnbaum. You've got a fantastic quick take explaining what is a complicated legal situation. Uh, let's start with the basics. What is this case about? So this case is a challenge from two of the tech industry's biggest lobbies. So that's NetChoice and CCIA. Um, they are challenging laws in Florida and Texas that are aimed at preventing social media companies from taking down certain kinds of political speech. So the question in the case is, um, are the social media companies protected by the First Amendment? And the arguments are going on right now. When I'm reading your quick take, I'm reminded of what happened in 2020, the last election cycle, when I was on the road. The content moderation or the policy from the tech companies kind of came as a reaction to what happened in that election cycle. And the political story, to me, it seems like uh, on, on, in certain sections of D.C. that they overdid it, that, they, that there's a feeling that uh, conservative voices in particular were over-censored. That, is that the political story, Emily? Definitely. Both the Florida and Texas laws were written and then ultimately uh, passed in the wake of the biggest social media companies booting or suspending Trump from their services. So a lot of what we're seeing now is fallout from that. You know, should the social media companies be allowed to take such a prominent politician off their platform? Can you write a law that prevents them from doing it again? Or do you ultimately sweep in all kinds of speech that is, uh, you know, uh, perfectly reasonable for them to have some editorial control over. Uh, it's hard on your beat, but I'll ask you anyway. What do you think the Supreme Court is likely to do with your crystal ball? Well, I've been listening to the arguments for the past hour, and there is so much skepticism already of the Florida law. There are distinctions between the Florida and Texas laws, but uh, basically the questions at the center of them are the same. Um, we're hearing skepticism from the liberals and the conservatives, including some of those swing uh, justices like Kavanaugh. Um, they all are kind of confused about the law. They say, this is so broad, sweeping. How does this even get implemented? Why? are we even talking about this? So it's not looking very good for the states. Uh, it's just really great to have you on the show, Emily, but I do urge the audience, go and check out Emily's quick take on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, because you get a clear understanding of what is a complicated story. Thank you. Now, sticking with DC, we're actually waiting on some news from the Commerce Department. It could come at any time, potentially regarding grants from the CHIPS Act. Gina Raimondo, due to speak momentarily, guess who's with us? Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons. Uh, we always have our eye on, on the flow of capital out of, out of this key piece of, of lawmaking. What do you think is going on? Well, we've already heard from the Commerce Secretary, not today, but last week when she hinted there should be a drumbeat of bigger announcements related to allocating funds uh, and loans from the CHIPS Act in the next 6 to 12 weeks. And Bloomberg's own reporting indicates they want to have many of these grants announced by the end of March. So the question is, could we get more hints from the Commerce Secretary when she speaks, expected in just moments, uh, to give an update on CHIPS Act implementation? As you well know, Ed, Ed we're talking $39 billion in direct grants here, another $75 billion in loan and loan guarantees. And among the 
the companies that could perhaps getting access uh, to these incentives next could be, according to Bloomberg's reporting, Intel, TSMC, and yep. Samsung. All of them are expected to be major recipients. Of course, the Intel CEO, Pat Gelsinger, last week said it could be coming soon, and Bloomberg has reported that Intel's incentive could be in the tune of $10 billion, which would be the largest among any uh, CHIPS Act funds granted so far as the Commerce Secretary is trying to dole these out, and she's actually just beginning uh, to speak now at the CSIS event, and so, we'll, of course, we'll be watching for the headlines that she makes and bringing you all the latest on the, that news. Yeah, that CHIPS Act money is one of the key pillars of Pat Gelsinger and Intel's smart capital approach, particularly on the foundry business. Bloomberg's Kaylee Lines sticking across those headlines. Now, coming up here on the program, some of the biggest names in tech are investing in a business developing humanoid robots. It might not be the one that you think. More on that next. Uh, the news keeps coming out of D.C. We're looking at shares of Discover and Capital One, a group of lawmakers led by uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and also representing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are urging the Fed, the OCC, to block this deal that broke last week when I was on vacay, a big one uh, in the financial technology and consumer credit card space. The share's not really reacting to that kind of pushback in DC, both up a tenth of a percent. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Okay, it's time for Talking Tech. And first up in the news, Mark Zuckerberg will travel across Asia with stops in Japan, South Korea, and India as the Meta CEO works on artificial intelligence services and forges ties with businesses and government leaders across Asia. In Seoul, Zuckerberg will meet with partners. And according to sources, he's tentatively scheduled to meet with South Korea's president. Local media also report that Zuckerberg will meet Samsung chairman J.Y. Lee to discuss cooperation in AI and LG's 
CEO to talk about joint development of an extended reality headset. And Ant Group outbid Citadel Securities for Credit Suisse's investment bank venture in China, a surprise move that will be subject to close regulatory scrutiny. The bid by the Jack Ma-backed fintech giant to build a securities business using Credit Suisse's operations will face a thorough review as China favours a foreign buyer. UBS Group, which now owns Credit Suisse, will have to choose between the higher local bid from Ant or the lower Citadel offer that's more likely to win government approval. All of that is according to Bloomberg sources. Plus, following an inquiry from the US SEC, Alibaba disclosed a wider web of Chinese government stakes in its business units than previously known, with state ownership in more than 12 business units. In the notice, the company said the disclosures were made in response to certain comments from the staff of the SEC as an amendment to its earlier filing from July. The filings come as China's ruling Communist Party says it will play a bigger role in steering the country's technology and science development. Another big story, Jeff Bezos, NVIDIA and other big tech names are investing in a business developing human-like robots. The Startup figure AI, also backed by OpenAI and Microsoft, is raising about $675 million in funding that carries a pre-money valuation of about $2 billion. That's all according to Bloomberg sources, and that was reported by Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, who joins us now. Humanoid robot, you, you think Tesla and Optimus, but I've been digging in to this company. It's an interesting round. The numbers are big. What have you learned? Yeah, figure. This is an alternative to Optimus, what Elon Musk is building. Uh, this company, like you said, is building humanoid robots. And the idea here is, one, to address labor shortages in the labor market at some point, but also to substitute for humans for more dangerous jobs, perhaps on, on production lines and such. And what we're told is that there could be an announcement this week for a slew of funding topping $675 million, like you said, at that $2 billion or about $2 billion pre-money valuation. And you have a lot of big names in one funding round, uh, which is quite rare. You have Jeff Bezos's personal investment firm, uh, Explore. You have Intel coming in with a $25 million investment. NVIDIA coming in at a $50 million investment. Uh, Amazon's VC arm, Samsung's VC arm, LG's VC arm, plus Microsoft coming in with 95 million, OpenAI coming in at 5 million. So certainly you have the who's who there uh, of companies interested in artificial intelligence, robotics, and these types of future technologies. Right. So this is going to be quite interesting to see how it all develops. You know, the NVIDIA piece is interesting. You know, they've invested all over the place privately and as we learned in the 13Fs. Um, in, in some public companies as well. I think I'm right in saying at one point OpenAI thought about just buying uh, Figure AI outright. What can you tell me about the company's progress? Do they have anything to show for their work in humanoid robotics so far? You know, before Sam Altman was ousted uh, as CEO last year, there were some pretty deep uh, negotiations regarding an acquisition of figure by OpenAI. Uh, there were also more extensive conversations around bigger investments, and the OpenAI investment ultimately came down to only $5 million. And I say only, uh, you compare it to the $50 million from NVIDIA, the $100 million from Bezos, you have $100 million from uh, a venture capital firm called Parkway. Uh, so certainly the OpenAI deal 
sales sort of really fell apart amidst the whole Sam Altman situation uh, last year. In terms of the progress that Figure has made, you know, they've published some videos and some specifications on their website. Uh, it's unclear who's further ahead, Figure uh, or, you know, Elon Musk's Optimus, but clearly uh, they're selling the goods to these investors and getting enough money from them. Uh, you can see the video they're playing. It's unclear if that's real or some sort of, you know, AI created mock-up or, uh, you know, preview of what's to come. Certainly it's going to be years or even a decade plus before what you see in that video is a reality. Uh, but clearly these companies have enough money to put in, you know, what is what amounts to change under their couch uh, to place some bets here and there and hope that figure works out for them. Uh, Bloomberg's Mark Gowen. By the way, check out Mark's latest power on as well for a great photograph of you wearing the next generation of smart glasses. Just, just putting it out there. Check it out. Okay, welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. As Mondays go, it's a very business one. Let's start with some markets. Uh, This is more of like a PSA from last week, but Amazon has replaced Walgreens Boot Alliance on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Remember, that's an index where weightings are done on a share price basis, not on a market capitalization basis. Something that was announced last week after Tuesday's market close, but I was on vacay. I missed it. The point being, it's affected as of Monday's session. So if you look on your Bloomberg terminal, you'll see it, Amazon flat, Walgreens Boots Alliance down 2%. What precipitated it was actually a three-for-one stock split, not by Walgreens, but by Walmart, which had a reshuffle for the whole of that index. Another stock that we're watching closely to the downside is Alphabet, parent of Google. There has been so much discussion, particularly on X, about the image generator on Gemini. An update from Google out in literally the last hour or so so the company plans to resume the image generator on Gemini, which it had paused at some point in the next two weeks. Remember that Alphabet pulled the image generator of Gemini last week because of criticism over the inaccurate historical depictions of race. You will have seen that Elon Musk in particular has been very vocal about this issue of, of uh, the Gemini and image generation on Gemini in the last 24 to 48 hours. Okay, a slew of states have been targeting AI deep fakes ahead of the November election. And now that also includes New York State. New legislation from Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul would make New York the first in the nation to explicitly empower voters to file lawsuits against AI-made political deepfakes. I want to bring in Zach Williams from Bloomberg Law, who's been writing about this. Uh, This would be New York going first on something. What is the proposal that's on the table here? So Governor Kathy Hochul is proposing in the state budget due April 1st that um, that New York State take action against deep fakes on a number of fronts, um, intimate images, um, child pornography, and of course, deep fakes in elections within 60 days of election day. Now, what's so interesting about this one compared to the handful of states that have um, current laws or those considering similar legislation is the enforcement mechanism. There's no civil or criminal penalties for creating a deep fake under Hochul's proposal. But she would empower voters to actually file lawsuits of their own seeking injunctive relief. They see a deep fake, whether or not it concerns them personally, they can sue to have it removed, to have someone remove it from online or anywhere else that they see it. 
When you look at the, the language in the bill, there, there are some similarities with other states, right? I think, first of all, of Arizona. But broadly, even though New York is kind of getting early at this, there is momentum behind the same initiative in other parts of the country. Yeah, a big issue facing states is, you know, the not only just how to enforce these laws, but the type of behavior to actually cover. You know, um, five states currently have existing laws um, against AI-created deepfakes, and most of them apply um, to, you know, people that are portrayed or to political candidates specifically. You know, the New York proposal and a few others before states out there, you know, really get at, you know, deepfakes that arguably try to influence a voter or influence election, which is a much wider type of behavior, you know. Think of, you know, the AI deepfake of Joe Biden in New Hampshire. You know, that's very specific to a candidate. You know, what um, Hochul's proposal and some others um, across the country might do is actually, you know, make any type of AI phony, uh, you know, material illegal, whether or not it shows a real person. All right, Zach Williams of Bloomberg Law. Great to have you on the program from Albany, keeping across that in the coming weeks and months. Let's keep the conversation going with Denver Riggleman. He's the founder of the security firm Riggleman Information and Intelligence Group. He's also former Republican congressman for Virginia's 6th District, served as an Air Force intelligence officer. And he's also the co-author of The Breach, the untold story of the investigation into January 6th. Denver Riggleman joins us now. Denver, we just heard from our reporter about, at the state level, action on deepfakes. We heard earlier in the program from our reporter in DC about the Supreme Court's consideration of content moderation. Leaning on your, your own work, research, and your political career, how big an issue is content going to be in this election cycle 2024? You know, everybody's saying it is a massive issue, what it is, but there's that flip problem, right, Ed? <clears throat> On the other side, when you're looking at technologies, that people believe it. You know, we look at the point of origin of these videos, which is why I started my company, was to look at where this disinformation line actually comes from, or what the defects actually have as far as radicalizing language, is that people believe it. I mean, a lot of people were actually radicalized with memes and cue drops. So what does that mean with deepfakes and AIs? I just don't know what the enforcement mechanism is going to be on satire. I don't know how the enforcement mechanism is going to work if, you know, people are actually doing it because they think the AI deepfakes are actually effective, you know, and, and actually making fun of these candidates or, call, or or asking for violence against candidates or violence in general. So it's just going to be interesting to see how this comes down as far as the legal methodology of this. But as far as AI deepfakes are concerned, you know, I've seen Biden deepfakes with actually him on video. I'm actually working with a company on deepfakes and licensing um, the AI for each particular individual who wants to use AI for themselves. And I have to tell Ed, I'm very worried that it's not just the fact that the deepfakes are being generated, it's that the populace, there's a credulous populace, tens of millions, that are going to believe this because they don't understand the technology uh, and they're ignorant about actually what's happening on social media and ignorant about what's happening with AI. Denver, in, in the body of work that, that your, your current firm is doing, do you see any specific uh, focus or center of activity either across the two political parties or focus on any specific candidates. Yeah, I think what you're going to see with AI, which you've seen the generating AI already from the far right, I think right now, I don't think independent center-right Republicans 
um, or Democrats really have any idea about how effective AI can be if it's in the hands of specific individuals that have no moral boundaries. And uh, that's the thing that really does worry me, Ed, is the lack of moral boundaries and the fact that technology is wildly available. This is not its not something hard to do. I mean, you can hire firms to do AI. Uh, you can do some of it yourself. Uh, it's just not that difficult. So what we're seeing also is that the foreign disinformation campaigns could be very effective with AI, uh, with deepfakes specifically, but with other type of things, just like audio. I mean, AI audio is so easy. So now you have this ability to do deformation on a massive scale that'll make memes and, and drops and, you know, videos just sort of, I would say, passe. Uh, AI and deepfakes specifically coming from foreign enemies or threats, but from people who have no moral boundaries, I think is going to be something that could cause a lot of violence starting in the spring and summer, late spring, early summer of 2024, which is my biggest worry. Denver, you say it's not difficult to do. I think what you're saying is in the context of content moderation, right? The the actions of the platforms themselves. We talked about this earlier in the program, that what came out of the 2020 presidential election cycle was content moderation policies. And now the political argument is that those resulted in the over-censorship, particularly of, of conservative views. Tie that then to the deepfakes issue. You know, either the tech companies take action or they don't. Should it solely rest with them to be responsible? It, you know, we're to a point where it might solely rest with them based on the enforcement mechanisms. If you, you know, I've done enough investigations now that government has a very tough time moving at speed against new technologies. So when you're talking about these large companies, you're going to have to be some kind of ability uh, to self-moderate, you know, when you're looking at actually these AI deepfakes. You know, my biggest fear, Ed, um, you know, is that AI, as far as being able to radicalize people in a way we can't even imagine at this point is something that we're going to have to fight with uh, forever. I mean, really, the information war is the forever war. So I think that's the issue that we have. And these large tech companies, there's going to have to be some responsibility on how these e- these AI deepfakes are actually promulgated. I, I just and I don't see with the massive amount of AI of platforms. Um, you know, what do you have? Uh, 40 major maybe social media platforms, hundreds of minor uh, platforms. You have emails. You still have Facebook. You have private groups. You have so much stuff out there. I don't know how you actually do it unless the tech companies actually take some responsibility for deepfakes or for AI-generated content. All right, Denver Riggleman, founder of Riggleman Information and Intelligence Group. Great conversation. Come back in the next few weeks and months as we progress to this election cycle, and we'll keep the conversation going. Some breaking news crossing the Bloomberg terminal back out with D.C. Uh, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is speaking about the applications to Chips Act, the Chips Act for grants. She is saying that leading-edge firms are seeking over $70 billion from the Chips Act. You're looking at live pictures of that event where Raimondo is speaking. She's talking about the U.S. going to prioritize chips projects that can be operational by 2030. We spoke earlier with Kaylee about Intel as an example, that in their smart capital approach, they are relying on access to the Chips Act grants to operationalize and build out particularly their foundry business. The last point is Raimondo giving a forecast that the U.S. is going to make 20 percent of leading edge chips by the end of the decade. And what we're talking about in the, the context of leading edge chips is those higher performance GPUs, the ones that Ian King comes on the show and talks about so often. We'll continue to monitor the event 
comment that Raimondo is speaking about, but there is actually some significant news headlines coming out from those comments. All right, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, the twin strikes were a hot topic of conversation at the SAG Awards this past Saturday, and SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher brought one of the union's major concerns from over the summit to the show, Artificial Intelligence. We'll have Nick Lyons, who's the co-CEO and co-founder of Flawless, a company that uses generative AI to correct out-of-sync dubbing and more with his thoughts on that relationship between AI and Hollywood coming up next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. At the SAG Awards this past Saturday, the twin strikes, the actors and writers strike, were a major topic of conversation. SAG after president Fran Drescher brought one of the union's biggest concerns to the stage, saying, quote, AI will entrap us in a matrix where none of us know what's real. Let's bring in Nick Lyons, co-CEO and co-founder of Flawless, a company that uses generative AI to correct out-of-sync dubbing and does a lot more. Let's bring in uh, his thoughts about what is an evolving relationship, Nick, uh, between Hollywood and AI. Uh, just real quick on, on Ms. Drescher's statement there uh, about being caught in, in a limbo where you don't know what, what is real and what is. You're building AI that directly impacts this world. What's your take? Well, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Ed. Um, yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I think that the uh, the reality is is we have to uh, we have to be careful, and I think the approach that we've uh, we've taken is to be actually one of the reasons probably we're willing to come on the show is that we've been talking to Sagafra for a number of years now. We've been cooperating with them and working with them to work out you know how, what the best application and uses are for this technology. Um, you know, we have from day one we made a stance uh, around data that we would not 
you know, we wouldn't trample on artistic rights or commercial data ownership rights. I mean, we've built technologies that support that. So, you know, I think it's a, a collaboration and I think it's a mechanism to move forward to enable an industry to uh, re-energize and uh, go into, you know, the next uh, decade. Let's talk a little bit about Flawless and, and understand the work you're doing in the context of those concerns. So using generative AI to, to amend or correct out-of-sync dubbing, how does that work? Well, you know, the uh, you, you look at uh, the recent news, uh, you know, around Warner and Paramount, um, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, highlighting of, you know, uh, audiences under pressure, et cetera, and a lot of debt. But I think that the, the fundamental problem uh, is actually uh, production costs. Um, you know, when people, when, when the big studios and streamers and other, uh, other production companies around the world are investing heavily in, in production, it's, it's very, very, uh, it's heavy carbon footprint, and it's also very physical and consequently very costly you know so one of the benefits that AI is going to bring gen AI is going to bring is the ability to be able to reduce those production costs but also you know if you imagine that uh, a proxy for reduction of production costs is enabling a global audience uh, dubbing and subtitling has you know been the mechanism for localization now for you know a hundred years and you know unfortunately there's a lot of people that don't like that and that's represented in the value when you're selling uh, films and TV series into other language territories so the ability to have a global audience and have allow audiences to uh, consume content in a way that's digestible and enjoyable, it just is going to also enable the, these same companies to be able to benefit from, you know, distribution at a level that, you know, it will, will be you know, game changing for them. You just spoke to kind of the economics of what frankly was one of the biggest technology stories of the year so far when OpenAI released Sora. And I, I saw an interview, uh, my, my co-host Caroline Hyde and I were talking about Tyler Perry and The Hollywood Reporter saying that he had put plans for an $800 million studio expansion on hold when he saw the results of Sora. And, you know, I made a quip on X that most of it is just 60-second clips of dogs or puppies doing stuff. But, but when they release those images that are generative AI text-to-video uh, uh, pieces of content, there was a big reaction from your industry. What was your reaction? Yeah, well, um, you know, I think pause is the operative word there because I think once what were quite interesting and exciting videos, once the people understand that it's still a long, long way off from prof you know professional production, um, you know, if you look at it, yes, it's sixty-second scenes. You know, it's not particularly looking round corners. There's not a lot of actual performance in there. You know, and there's also not editing tools attached. But I think most importantly, we're talking about. Uh, these 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 videos are created from unclean data. You know, we made a decision to build a business that was based on clean data, where everything within our models and in, within our production system has enabled has been has been signed off and is you know commercially and artistically clean. And I think that there's like mixing these things together, and then it's exciting for the future because it shows the power of the technology. And I think yes, there will be a benefit here in reduced production costs. But I think Tyler's going to find very quickly that I think the film industry is probably going to go 
through actually a boom time over the years that come with the reduction in production costs and with the same tools that allow for those reductions in production costs, giving more creative control and more iterative storytelling, we're going to see an increase in the percentage of commercially successful projects. And I think consequently for that, it becomes like, you know, quite a wise investment to be investing in film, which historically I think some people have been cynical about. So I think really what we're looking at is, you know, yes, there might be some like people initially sort of a little bit scared when they're looking at something like that. But I think really it represents boom times. Uh, Flawless co-CEO, co-founder Nick Lines. Just great to have you on the programme after the SAG Awards at the weekend where this was a front and centre issue. Really appreciate your time. Okay, some more news here on Bloomberg Technology. It's time for the VC Roundup. First up, Interview Kickstart has raised $10 million from Bloom Ventures to expand a library of courses in fields from machine learning to data sciences, demand for which is surging alongside global development in AI. The fledgling firm co-founded by early box engineer Soa Meta and Excel Partners alum Ryan Vallas aims to help supply the skilled engineers needed to support a boot in artificial intelligence. And Deep Xco is close to raising $90 million in a funding round to accelerate production and bankroll global expansion. The South Korean firm has secured $45 million from Skylake Equity Partners, as well as $22.5 million from existing backer Timefolio Asset Management. The AI chip startup is also in final discussions with another investor to secure an additional tranche of money by next month. That all according to sources. The U.S. used artificial intelligence to identify targets that were then hit by airstrikes in the Middle East this month. That's according to a defense official. And Bloomberg's Katrina Manson spoke with them and did that reporting. She joins us now with more details. Uh, This is interesting. You have to be clear on what the AI was used for, right, Katrina? And it was to identify the targets. But that's where it stops. That's right. Uh, These are computer vision algorithms that the Pentagon has been developing really since 2017. Uh, But they are now using them operationally. And uh, CENTCOM, that's Central Central Command that runs US forces in the Middle East, confirmed to me that they had identified more than 85 um, targets uh, for the strikes on February the 2nd. Those are against seven facilities in Iraq and Syria. And they had used AI to help narrow down those targets that were subsequently struck using uh, fighter aircraft and bombers. The the other way of looking at it is that CENTCOM in its, uh, I guess, experimentation found very clearly that there are limitations to the use of the technology. And those immediately obvious ones are the order of attack and which weapon the U.S. should or shouldn't use. They've been uh, experimenting with AI and exercises for more than a year now. And uh, Skylar Moore, who's uh, chief technology officer at CENTCOM, she told me that AI is not ready to make recommendations. They, they worked with an AI recommendation engine. And humans are generally faring much better than AI at the moment on that. But they are using AI for computer vision algorithms and really integrating this targeting effort into the entire flow of operations. So it's not just intelligence anymore. It really is delivering weapons with the help of AI targeting. 
And Katrina, very quickly, is there any element of human verification here? In other words, did a human check the work that the AI proposed? Yes, absolutely. The targeting is uh, making a series of recommendations. Humans then verify it. And uh, I was told that it's pretty obvious when it's off. Uh, So humans are correcting it, giving that feedback, that classic way of iterating the algorithm before they go forward. And this is something that the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which now runs Maven, is really trying to uh, improve the capabilities of. All right, Bloomberg's Katrina Manson, just terrific reporting out of New York. Thank you so much. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Look, last week when I was off, I listened to the show as a podcast. I know so many of you download and listen to the pod on your way into work. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on iHeart, and we really appreciate the feedback about the show and so many of you listening to it in audio format. But again, we're also everywhere else on YouTube and on your television screen as I speak. From San Francisco, this is Bloomberg Technology. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.